Amen. Thank you, Brother Tyler. Let's open our Bibles tonight to Psalm 142. Would you do that, Psalm 142? When you just don't understand the purpose of His plan. I sat at a table last night with a family whose 25-year-old son, brother, um, died this week, and I was straight up honest with them. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to try to blow any religious smoke at you. I'm, I'm not going to try to overwhelm you with uh, the appearance that I know the answers, because I don't. I don't know why. And there's no sense in me trying to, to pull one over people's eyes and try to convince them. And can I just help you here? Phrases like, well, God needed another angel, doesn't help. It doesn't help on Facebook. It doesn't help in real life. Well, God needed them more than you did. That doesn't help. That, that doesn't do anything. If anything, it makes them want to punch you in the nose. You're standing there telling me that God needed my son more than I did. That's preposterous. For you and I to pretend to know why God does what he does is, is just, it. and believe me, that is more meaningful to me now than it ever has been. And it's helped me deal with situations like that, I think, better than I ever have. And I'm not getting on to you tonight. I'm just trying to help you see things from another perspective, that those little things will, you know, he's in, in heaven now watering God's garden. Come on. You know, that, that kind of thing uh, just doesn't help, believe me. And so be careful. Uh, pretending to know uh, why uh, God does what he does, uh, because we don't know. So let's go to Psalm 142, because that all kind of goes in there. Are you, are you still with me tonight? All right, I'm, again, I'm not trying to, to, to chide you. I, I hope that that will be of some help uh, to you in, in the future. And, and I get this. I understand this as well. That sometimes we don't know what to say. And so in an attempt to say something, many times we say the wrong thing. And I, I will bring this up. I'm preaching that funeral on Saturday. And, and I will bring this up that when that happens, don't get, you know, don't get angry because people are just trying to help. They really are. Their hearts are in the right place. Uh, but again, when you don't know what to say, but you feel like you need to say something, oftentimes, I know I have said the wrong thing. I see that now. Um, and, and I try to do better. Um, I try to do better at that. Psalm 142. Let's read the whole psalm tonight. And... Um, then we will get into, uh, into the message. 
David said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto, the, unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul, David said, out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Have you ever been overwhelmed by life? I know that's a rhetorical question. Because we all, no doubt, have been there at some point where life just overwhelmed us, or the reality is there may be some here tonight who feel that's where you are right now, that life is just absolutely overwhelming. I'm talking about those times when nothing seems to go right and everything seems to go wrong. I'm talking about those times when, when life's got you down, and regardless of how hard you try, there just seems to be no getting up. I'm talking about those times when you feel like finding the deepest, darkest cave that you can. And spending the rest of your life there. I'm talking about when life has become that overwhelming. And there are a number of things that can drive us to that point of desperation. Poor health can do it. Chronic pain can do it. A bad marriage can do it. And by the way, Lord willing, uh, we're going to uh, touch that subject on Sunday morning as we get back to our Desperate Households series where, Lord willing, we're going to talk about uh, how to stay in, how to persist in a difficult marriage. Sometimes financial difficulties can overwhelm us. Problems at work, problems at school can overwhelm us. Tragedies in life can overwhelm us. A failed walk with God, when, when we're not right with God, life can be overwhelming. 
the verses that we just read describe a time in David's life by his own admission when he was overwhelmed. As a matter of fact, if your Bible's like mine, you've got a little superscription under, under the heading Psalm 142, and it says this, a prayer when he was in the cave. David went literally and found the deepest, darkest cave he could find, and he hid there. These actions may surprise some of you who have always looked at David, who, by the way, the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. And maybe some of you have always viewed David as a great man of faith who slew the giant Goliath or a man of great vision or a man who was a great leader or a great singer or a great poet. And, and, and listen, he was all of those things and more that I didn't name. But understand this, he was also a man who struggled with discouragement and with depression. At this point in his life, David was a fugitive. He was on the run from the most powerful man in the world at that time. His name was King Saul. Saul knew that David was the next in line to be the king of Israel. And Saul was very jealous of David. And it's no secret that Saul wanted to kill David. And that's why David's on the run, and that's why he's hiding, because he didn't want to get killed by Saul. And it's while he was on the run that he ventured upon the cave Adullam. We might call it tonight the cave of despair. And David descended into its cold, dark reaches. I think most of us here have, as I said a moment ago, at one time or another, spent some time in the cave of despair. When it just seemed like things had built up and things were mounting up to such a degree that we were just over well, and it's during times like that that we have a tendency to feel lost. We have a, a tendency to feel like God has forgotten us. And sometimes we can even convince ourselves that his comfort does not extend to those places where we are, to those places of despair and discouragement and depression. As we'll see, David experienced those things in the cave. He experienced the same emotions then that we often feel and experience in our own heart, in our own life now. For example, David felt disoriented. The Hebrew word for overwhelmed there in verse 3, you saw it when we read it, it means to be shrouded in darkness or covered over. Now when we talk about someone being disoriented, here's 
here's a, uh, here's a picture that I get in my mind. I need a couple of volunteers. Thank you, Chris and Alex. I appreciate that. Come on up, guys. How many of you have ever been to a minor league baseball game? Anybody ever been to a minor league baseball game? You ever seen the games they play between innings? Come on down here, boys. Don't be afraid. Because I got a bat in my hand. Don't be afraid. This is one of the games that they often play during a minor league baseball game. Chris, you stand over here. Alex, you stand over here. All right, I want you to put your forehead on the knob of this bat. And when I say go, go ahead. And when I say go... I want you to spin around that bat as many times as you can. Brother Tyler, get your phone out. Give me 20 seconds, will you? And when I say go, I want you to just let the bat drop, and I want you to run over here, and the first one to touch my hand is the winner. Okay? Here's what we'll do. Brother Sid, just... We'll, we'll take care of this. Whoever wins gets a free drink from the K Cafe. Okay, let's put, a little, let's put a little competition in this. All right, you got your phone, Brother Tyler. You tell me when it's 20 seconds. When I say go, you got to keep your head on the knob of that bat just like that, Chris. Do it again. Show Alex. Alex may not understand. Hey, let me get somebody shorter. Xavier, come here, man. You're too tall, Chris. You're too tall. Alex, you're too tall. Come here, Xavier. And I'd have to have a broomstick for this to work with you. Okay, you understand what we're doing here? You put your head on that knob. You spin around as fast as you can for 20 seconds. When I say go, you run, drop the bat, and then you run this way and tag my hand, and the winner gets a free drink from the K Cafe, all right? And do not hit him while he's got his head down. All right, on your mark, get set, go. Cheer him on. Come on. Go, 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 go. Go, 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 go. Go, 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 go. Fast, fast, fast. Spin around, spin around. Spin around, spin around, spin around, spin around. Come on, go around, 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 around. Go. Come on now, come on now, come on now. Two, one, go. This way. Hurry, hurry. Help you. Help your brother up. Give him a hand. They did well. It's kind of like watching your kids play, spin the tail on the donkey. You turn them around, 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 around. And then they, they stagger around, and they're, they're trying to figure out. That's, that's where David was. He was disoriented. He didn't know where to turn. He was baffled. He was confounded. He was mystified. He was perplexed. And all of these things or what David was feeling in the cave. He didn't know up from down, he didn't know left from right. He was just so incredibly overwhelmed. Sometimes we find ourselves in this same 
situation. And like we do oftentimes, David began to distrust his ability to make good judgments. He's no longer certain where to turn or what course to take. And, And I'll say something more about this later, but just let me say this real quick. We should... Listen, we should distrust our ability to make good judgments when we're overwhelmed. Thank you. Let me say that again. We should distrust our ability to make good judgment decisions when we're overwhelmed. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's me as your pastor or Brother Tyler, or Brother Sid, or one of our deacons, or, or any of you. When we're overwhelmed by life, that is not the time to trust our own judgment. David was in that position. David also felt deserted. We read it in verse 4. I looked at my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Now, Here's why that's interesting. Because in another psalm, David said this. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. So there was a time when David could feel the Lord's presence in his life. If God was with him, who could be against him? I mean, life was vibrant and victorious, and no matter where he was or what he was doing, the Lord was always there. And now here he is in Psalm 142, and he's saying that there's nobody here. I looked on my right hand, but there was nobody there. He said, there's nobody who cared about me. And here's what's happened. He's been overwhelmed by his problems, Listen, and it has driven him into isolation. Please don't miss this. How many times have we been driven into isolation by our problems? Because we've convinced ourselves that nobody has ever faced what we're facing. And because no one has ever faced it before, then no one will understand. Our spouse won't understand. Our children won't understand. Our closest friends won't understand. Our family won't understand. And so we bury ourselves in a cave of our own making. But what we've forgotten, like David had forgotten, is that there is someone who cares for us. And his name is Jesus. And he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In in the book of Hebrews. The great prophet Elijah went through this same process Read his story. He went through this same process of being overwhelmed and isolated. 
It got to the point that in his own mind, it was him against the world. If you you know the story, he had allowed himself to be convinced that he was the only prophet left who believed in God. And it took the Lord reminding him, Elijah... Son, listen to me, I'm still in control, and by the way, there are thousands, literally, he said, 7,000 other prophets just like you. You are 7,001 who have not bowed a knee to Baal. Elijah, you're not alone. Elijah, you're not by yourself. Something that we can glean from this is that problems encourage isolation and isolation fosters misconception. Are you listening? Here's what I mean. People who experience problems in their life oftentimes slowly but surely become isolated. They have a tendency to pull away from their families and to pull away from their friends and to pull away from their church. And believe me, I get that. I understand the feeling. But here's what happens as a result of their isolation, they begin to develop all kinds of misconceptions. They they become convinced that nobody understands. And as David said, nobody cares. And they can even get to the point where they convince themselves that they don't need anybody to care. I don't need anybody to understand. You tracking with me? Problems encourage isolation. Isolation fosters misconception. And misconception nurtures criticism. People who have become overwhelmed tend to become very critical. They become critical at work. They become critical at home. They become critical at church. And they're not normally that way. That's not who they are. But because of the problems of life, they become that way. David felt disoriented. He he felt deserted. And as a result, he felt depressed. He said in verse 6, I am brought very low. And isn't that what depression is all about? Now before we go any farther, I want to dispel a myth about 
depression. The myth is that real Christians don't get depressed. And to those who have fallen prey to that myth, I would simply challenge you tonight to read your Bible. Elijah suffered from depression. Jonah experienced depression. Moses was depressed. And here in our text, David is struggling to escape the grip of depression. The mistake David made is a mistake that many of us have made when facing difficult times. He allowed his circumstances, listen, listen, he allowed his circumstances to drive him inward rather than upward. David had come to fall back on his own resources. And those resources were now spent. He had nothing left. The well had run dry, if you will. He was drained mentally. He was drained physically. He was drained emotionally. And he was drained spiritually. And he was on the bottom. Thus David felt defeated. In the grip of his low spirits, David cries out to the Lord in our text, Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. David felt defeated. At this point, David can see nothing but the negative. It's as if he's wearing dark glasses that tint the entire world in shades from gray to black. David does what some of us have done. He sits in his cave with his yellow legal pad and he proceeds to take inventory of his life. And so he makes two columns, good news and bad news. By the time he's done, he comes to the conclusion that all he has is bad news and more bad news. At this point, David can see nothing good. The assets are zero and the liabilities are too numerous to count. David would love to be counting his blessings if he only knew where they all went. How many of you can relate to that? You'll be honest. Hey, preacher, I, I know where you're at right there. I mean, come on. Sometimes we can get into such a state of mind that, that it's nearly impossible for us to see anything good about our lives. And so let me say this. When we're feeling overwhelmed... That is for sure not the time for trying to formulate objective conclusions. Because I don't care who you are, sound reasoning is just not possible at that moment. 
David goes on to compare himself to a man in prison, and, and so he was. He was a prisoner of his own perspective. He had locked himself in the dungeon of despair and thrown away the key. But thankfully, God was there, amen, God was there to provide a way of escape and a way to face his feelings of being overwhelmed. You say, well, Pastor, how did David face his feelings of being overwhelmed? And I want to ask, I want to answer that from our text, but before I do, I want you to know this tonight. As a child of God, listen, there is no pit so deep that God cannot lift you out. There is no cave so dark that God cannot brighten it up. And there is no storm so severe that God cannot speak, peace be still, and everything be okay. That's the God we serve. In facing his discouragement, his depression, and his doom and gloom feelings, David did several things. Take note of these, please. David verbalized his problems to God. This is huge, church. Someone might ask why we need to verbalize anything to God when he already knows it all anyway. And the answer is this, because we can. Hallelujah. Because we can. David verbalized his problems to God no less than three times in these seven verses. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, verse 1. I cried unto thee, verse 5. Attend unto my cry, verse 6. I thought about this, perhaps David was a man after God's own heart because David was willing to share his heart with God. That's what our prayer time ought to be. It ought to be a time when we share our hearts with God. I'm talking about a no-holds-barred, no-punches-pulled, straight-ahead, dead-honest conversation with him. You say, oh, preacher, I couldn't verbalize what's on my heart. Yeah, because you don't want God to know, right? God already knows. I'm talking about a time when we cut straight to the heart of the issue and we're not afraid to name names. This is a tremendous sense of unburdening ourselves when we do that with the most intimate friend imaginable. We need to lose this line of thinking that God is the grand CEO of the universe and, and there's just no way that somebody like us could, could talk directly to him. Listen, we may not be able to go directly to the president. We may not be able to go directly to the governor. But as Brother Tyler said tonight, when Jesus died on the cross, he paved a new and living way to the throne of God ourselves. He has made us priests unto ourselves. 
And we have the opportunity to go before God and to be gut honest with God. Well, I don't know if God can take it. Come on. Are you serious? God can take anything we have to offer him. When a child of God prays, listen, we're talking directly to God whose patience has no limits, whose love cannot be exhausted, and whose mercies, listen, whose mercies are new every morning. David verbalized his problems to God. And then secondly, David recognized his presence before God. Look in verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. I think David makes a startling discovery here. All the time that he was pouring his heart out to God, God was already at work on his situation. All the while David was feeling overwhelmed by his problems, God was busy dealing with them. God knew right where David was. And he knew what he was facing. Just as he knows where we are and what we're facing. And then look at verse 5, David realized his provision in God. He said, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. An old black preacher years ago said this about David's words in verse 5. There ain't no living in the land of the living like living in the living God. <laughs> I don't know what all that means, but it's pretty cool. There ain't no living in the land of the living like living in the living God. When David said that God was his refuge and portion in the land of the living, he wasn't talking about the sweet by and by. He was talking about the nasty now and now. God is our refuge, church, right now. Look at this verse. Let's read it together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Read it again. Read it loud. God is our refuge, a very present help. Not a future help, not a past help. He is a very present right now, today, June 20th, 2018, help. Sometimes we have a tendency to view the Bible as a book that was written for the future. But we need to understand that the Bible is a book for today. God's promises are for today. God's presence is for today. God's power is for us today. The Bible is a book that offers real-life solutions to real-life problems. By verbalizing his problems to God and recognizing his presence before God and realizing his provision in God, David was able to revitalize his praise of God. And what is praise? Hebrews 13, I believe verse 15. 
It is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. And I know that sometimes we can get so overwhelmed that our, and our perception can get so skewed that we, we cannot find one good thing. Now, I'm not chastising anybody for that. I'm just telling you that's not reality. I was talking to a pastor in Lancaster last week. And I was just being honest with him. I said, I understand that Paul said that God could make all things work for good, but I'm glad that he didn't say that all things are good. Because right now, I'm struggling finding something good, and then God caught me, and God corrected me in my heart. And he said, Bill, do you not, do you not remember that Saturday at the funeral when Sally got saved? Do you not remember that video that Sheena sent you of Sally following the Lord in baptism? Do you not remember talking to Pastor Mike a couple of weeks ago and him telling you that there are now three families that are attending First Baptist Church in Burden because of TJ's funeral? And you're going to sit here and tell this man across from you that there's nothing good? And so I apologized to him. And I said, that's not what I said. It's not right. It's not fair. Because there is some good. Verse 7, bring my soul out of prison, David said, that I may praise thy name. I have said this so many times, and we've sung it so many times, I'm almost embarrassed to say it again, but I will. It's amazing what praising will do. And I'm not so naive anymore as to think that at any moment of any day, you can just praise God. Because sometimes it's just not there. <laughs> it's just not there. And you try, but it's just not there. But it'll come. It will come when... You can stand in church service and you can sing from your heart. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. And what a mighty God we serve. And it's amazing what praising will do. When all the while the, the pain is not totally subsided, but yet you're making strides. Does that make sense? David was able to tra travel from prison to praise. And here's what I love. He left us a road map for us to follow in Psalm 142. And we will have that for our whole life. And I would never stand here and try to minimize 
any struggle that you're going through tonight would never do that. But I will maximize the God we serve. Because whether we believe it or not, He is a good God. And just like the Bible says, He does all things well. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, from our perspective, the answer to that is no. He doesn't always do things right. Because he really messed up here. But understand tonight, and I, and I, I often use this illustration, our perspective is, at, for years I heard people talk about circles of wheat. And I would look out in the field, I would never see anything look like a circle. There ain't no circles out there. And I remember the first time I ever flew. Now, in fact, I was in a private plane with Rick Grant. He may not even remember that. And I remember we took off from the airport. And the higher we got, by cracky, there were circles down there. You know what changed? My perspective. When my perspective changed, that everything down here was just like they said it was. Now we have to remember that in this life, this is our perspective. And this is how we have to see it. And when we look at it from this, from this perspective, we don't get it. But don't forget, God is viewing it from this perspective. And he sees it totally different than you and I. What to do when life overwhelms you? Verbalize your problems to God. Recognize your presence before God. Realize your provision in God. And revitalize your praise to God. I want to I touch one more thing, and I, I didn't do this earlier, and I, I want to do this. Because I think this is this is part of, of the honesty of God's word. In verse 2, David said, I poured out my complaint before him. You know what that means? That means that David poured out his complaint to God. And God's door is open for you and I to do that very same thing. That doesn't mean that we blame God. It doesn't mean that we accuse God falsely. It just means that we're honest. God, I don't get it. 
God and I have had this talk a number of times. God, I don't get it. And God, I'm going to be straight honest with you. I don't like it. You're not going to offend God by being honest with him. And pouring out your complaint before him. But don't just take that part of the psalm and dwell on that part of the psalm. You've got to look at this psalm as a whole. So maybe things haven't worked out for you like you wanted them to, or maybe, maybe there's something in your life that is just overwhelming you right now. And I listed a number of things early on that could do that. And maybe there's something that I didn't list. But listen tonight, it's okay for you to pour out your complaint before God. You're not, you're not going to overwhelm him with what you're overwhelmed with. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to come tonight and pray. Maybe you would want to go to someone and pray. I was telling my class Sunday morning, I, I wish... We were, the lesson was on being positive, about being encouraging. And I wish we had more of a culture in our church where we felt more at liberty to just freely love one another and pray with one another. Now, that's not anything that I can make happen. But from time to time, it wouldn't hurt us. We saw someone at the altar and we were privy somewhat to their struggles or their trials. It wouldn't hurt us from time to time to just come and put a hand on them and pray with them. That first Sunday night that we were back from Burden and the Brother Locke preached and Katie and I came down and prayed and you know, it meant something to us when a number of men came and just put their hands on me, and some of them prayed, some of them didn't. Ladies did the same thing for Katie. Let me tell you, there's something comforting about that. And we shouldn't be afraid to do that. It's part of being a church family. It's part of encouraging one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for the honesty of David. And as I said earlier,